You know, I think we find ourselves in a time um, where we and folks all around us are looking for hope. They're really looking for hope because there's lots of fear, lots of despair in our, our world today. A fear, really, that our destruction is inevitable. I mean, whether it's nuclear proliferation and all that's going on with North Korea as they continue to gain in nuclear capacity, whether it's uh, tribalism and, and racism that seems to grow in violence, whether it's in Egypt or in Charlottesville, or we find mass shootings that seem to be a monthly occurrence, and then in the last several weeks, you know, reports of male sexual aggression against women that reveal an evil, dehumanizing division. I mean, it's ugly. And I can see why people would wonder, is there any hope or is our destruction inevitable? You know, let's just batten down the hatches. Put bars on the windows. Lock the doors. Advent season, this season of of pointing us to Jesus, is a season of wondering about hope. It's a season we we learn um, to to hope, where we're, we're waiting for the fullness of God's salvation, of God's rescue where we are reminding ourselves from God's Word that God's hope is real. And so today, and throughout this series, we're going to explore how God rescues us from certain destruction and how God gives us salvation and gives us the power not just to survive, but even to flourish and fully live. And and that this plan of rescue, not only for us, but for the whole of creation, is part of His divine design and has been His plan since the very beginning. We're going to look at two passages today, one in Genesis and one in Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, We'll first look at Genesis 3, and then we'll jump to Ephesians 1, or you can follow along on the screen. Let's, uh, Let's pray together. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your written word as it speaks to us of what is true and real and good. So give us ears to hear. And give us ears to to hear from you. Not only in our mind, but in our heart and in our soul. To to ground our hope in you. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Alright, now before we get to Genesis 3, I want to set the scene. Many of you may be familiar with the the events that are recorded in the beginning um, of the Bible. And Genesis is the first book of the the, the Bible, but some of you may not be familiar um, with them. uh, um, But I encourage you... um, 
to take the time during this season to read through Genesis 1 and 3. Always good to remember the beginning of the events of creation and sort of how we got to the situation where hope may be in short supply. Um, but what, what happens in the beginning, the, uh, at the very beginning, there is nothing except God. And God speaks and the creation into being. Says there is, let there be light, and then there is light. And then creates the heavens and the earth and puts them in their places. And then he creates male, man and woman, male and female, Adam and Eve, and he breathes life into them. And, and he tells them, um, I've created all of this for you to enjoy in, um, uh, in, in me and in my presence. And so be fruitful and multiply. Take care of this. You're stewards of all that is created. It's all very good. So go. All the plants that you see, go eat of all that you see and enjoy it. It is all very good. But don't eat of this one. Eat of all the rest. But don't eat of this one, because if you eat of this, you will die. And then, in the form of a serpent, the evil one comes and leads Adam and Eve to disobey. Tempts them, leads them to disobey their Creator. And instead of finding all of their joy and contentment in all that He'd created... He tells them, you know, really, you can eat of this one, and you won't really die. And so they do, and they do. They eat, and they die. And they come, uh, and, and God then brings the, the consequences of their decision upon them. And th- this is high drama. I mean, is this the end? Is this the first domino of just a whole bunch that will lead to total destruction? Will evil win? And in the midst of that, God speaks to the serpent and also to Adam and Eve. We just want to read just the first part that He is speaking to the serpent. That He, he gives uh, then um, His words um, to them of the consequences of their decision. Um, Verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Now just right there, that last phrase there is just one beam of light of hope in the midst of this disobedience, in the midst of this division, in the midst of this death, in the midst of this judgment. He gives one beam of hope. He tells the serpent, from Eve's offspring, you will be destroyed. From Eve's offspring, evil will be defeated. Between your offspring and hers, again talking to the serpent, talking about Eve, he, the offspring, 
of Eve will strike your head. Now, if you're in battle, you take out my heel, I can still battle. You take out my head, game's over. So just in this almost cryptic statement, he's saying, this is the plan. You will not win. Evil will be defeated. Hope is sure and certain. Now, it's not just that this plan, this isn't like a celestial spiritual chess match. You know, where God sets it all up, puts it out to him, and then he goes, you know, on his computer and uh, um, plays uh, solitaire. You know, and sort of lets him go. He's actively involved in what's, what's going on. It's not one, then the, then the devil comes in and tempts him, and then God says, okay, well now I've got to move the next piece, and you're going to move the next piece. No, this has been God's plan even before creation. Even before Genesis 1-1, this has been God's plan. And, and we, we see that when we jump to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. That this, this plan of redemption, this plan of rescue, this defeat of evil and disobedience and guilt and judgment has been planned even before creation. Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 10. Let's just, we'll read the whole thing, then we'll come through and, and look um, at it a little more directly. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before Him in love. He destined us for adoption as His children through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace that He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace that He lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, He has made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure that He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to gather up all things in Him, things in heaven and things in earth. If you're going to summarize this statement, what he says basically over and over and over again is that God has chosen you and me in Christ before we were even created. Before creation. That's, that's what, what he says in the, in the very uh, beginning, in verse 4. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. What's the foundation? It's the beginning. It's the first thing that you build. It, before the foundation of the world was in place, God had chosen us. The plan 
that He has of rescue, this plan of salvation, is in place before Genesis 1. I mean, th- this, this is mind-boggling. This is sort of hard to get our heads around, isn't it? I mean, th- this is that kind of stuff where Isaiah says, you know, your ways are not God's ways. You are a limited human being by time and space. God isn't. What God thinks into being is what is into being. That's, that's what happens. His plan is fulfilled perfectly. And, and you, you'll notice he says not only is this plan made, but it's accomplished in the spiritual realms. God has chosen us in Christ, in the spiritual realms, before the creation of the world. So, I mean, God was there. We were there. Christ was there. And the plan was accomplished. Not just made, but accomplished in the spiritual realm. And now, it's being lived out in real time and space according to God's good and perfect will. I mean, this is, this is a mystery. That's why Paul calls it that. I mean, this, this mystery we would not know unless God reveals it to us. And so this mystery is now made known to us. This is why our hope is secure. This is why, because it, it, our hope is not in us. It's not in one another. Our hope is in God. And God has already made the plan and accomplished it in the spiritual realms and now we're living into the fullness of God's plan. It is a sure and certain hope. It's not just an optimism. You know, actually, optimism can be dangerous. If, if we base it just on denying the reality around us. You know, the, that whole, um, you know, that cheer, this sort of popular, I believe that we will win. I believe that we will win. You know, that's actually a dangerous cheer, especially if it stops you from practicing. You know, if it stops you from working, or if it stops you from recognizing who the opposing team is and preparing for them. It is just a blind optimism. But friends, that is not our hope. Our hope is not in just a blind optimism. Our hope is in the reality that God's plan is at work and you were chosen, we were chosen before we were even created. Now, if there is a God, then there is a God whose plans are being fulfilled. If there is a God who created the world simply by speaking it into existence, if there is a God who breathed life simply by His breath, there is a God who not just does what is loving, but who is love, then there is a God who makes a good and perfect plan and fulfills it. Christmas was known before the first tree was created. Christmas was known before the first lamb was created. 
the, the victory and salvation and redemption and reconciliation of peace and grace and love are a sure thing in Jesus Christ. And this is an overwhelming truth. This, 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 this is only something that in the end we can only sing and dance or stand or fall on our face in silent awe when we realize that the church is the church not because of our decisions, but because of God's. That even our very act of faith is a gift from God. I mean, Paul, he's overwhelmed here in this. I mean, actually, this, this first whole section of uh, uh, chapter 1 of Ephesians is just one big run-on sentence because he's overwhelmed with the grace and mercy and gift of God and that we get to be a part of it because of God's good and perfect plan. I mean, we're, he says, we, we are destined to be adopted as His children. That means we weren't His children and by his, and we had no right to be His children. We didn't have any blood relationship at all. And then by His choice, He said, Here, you, come be my children. In, in the, the first century, this, this word was, was used often for a particular case where a wealthy landowner had no children. And so he had all this stuff and he wanted to pass it on to somebody. So he went and adopted somebody and said, Here, come, you're my child. This stuff is yours. That's what Paul's saying in the language that he's using of how we have been lavished with his glorious inheritance. That's what we receive. That, that is who we are because of God's choice. Because of his good and perfect plan. Again, even before the creation of the world, in Jesus' blood, we were redeemed. We were given forgiveness of sins. We were renewed and reconciled with God. We were made clean and pure in Jesus. He, he has chosen us, and that, again in verse 4, He has chosen us to be holy, set apart, His people. He has chosen us to be blameless. We are blameless because we are clothed in Jesus Christ. We are washed clean in His blood. We are made blameless. There is no place for guilt because we are in Jesus Christ. But that's not something we attain. That's something that He has attained for us already. And it's not just for me and you but it's for the whole world. It's for heaven and earth. Do you see that in, in verse 10? That then this, this plan also includes the fullness of time to gather up all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. You see what, what Adam and Eve started in this cycle of destruction has been totally destroyed, not just for them, not just for us, but for all of creation. That's why heaven and nature can sing joy to the world. That's why they will sing and we will sing with them. Let heaven and nature sing. 
That, that's the extent of this plan of God's abundant grace and mercy that we simply receive from Him. Now, that, what, th- this hope is sure because it's already been accomplished and it's what God has done. It's not dependent on earthly events. It's dependent on God. It's not dependent on you and me. It's dependent upon God. I mean, it's a ridiculous, scandalous truth and a gift that we have received and been given to us even before we breathed our first breath. That's why Paul in Romans can say that nothing separates us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus. Not our own weakness, not our own lack of faith, not only our minimal hope or our disobedience. God's grace is greater. That, and this is why Christmas truly is that an explosion of hope. Because, granted, it's one thing for. Paul to write it, for me to say, hey, this is God's plan since the beginning of time. It's done. It's accomplished. So celebrate, dance, sing, fall down in silence. It's easy to say that. But Christmas is when we see that, that plan move out of the heavenlies into time and space most clearly. I mean, it's an explosion, right? I mean, okay, I hear you. Yeah, in the beginning, you said, you told, you told that serpent, that wily serpent, that uh, you, had, you were um, going to take off his head with one of the offspring of Eve. Well, who's it going to be? Abraham, Moses, Deborah. Who's it going to be? David, king after your own heart. Maybe it's him. No. It's me. I'm going to become human. And I will take off the head of evil by dying on the cross and being raised to new life. See, that, that's why oh, it's, it's, it's like when, when a plan starts to occur. You know, when you have that plan and it comes through, you know, you've you followed the recipe and you've, you've put the pecan rolls in the oven and you look in there and it starts to rise and it starts to brown and the sugar starts to bubble. You know, you can say the hope then is real, right? Because you just got to be sure the alarm goes off and you don't burn them. And you're going to taste it. At Christmas, it's an explosion of that plan coming true. So we run to the manger, and what we see is yes, yes, yes. What he said, I, I believed it. I believed it a little bit. Sometimes I believe, didn't believe it very much. Sometimes I just wanted to believe it. But now I run to the manger, and there I see, yes, his plan since the beginning of time. It will be fulfilled because here he is, the Savior of the world in human form. Brothers and sisters, that's why Christmas and Advent season brings us true hope. It is a sign. Not just a sign, but the unveiling, the unrolling 
of God's plan being carried out in time and space. It's like we join with all that gather. Look, it's happening just like he said it would. Granted, his time isn't our time. I might have done it sooner than 2,000 years from when he said it to then when he started it then. But he's smarter and wiser and more loving. God has told us his plans. He has included us in his plans. He has chosen us to be a part of his plan. God's rescue and salvation is real. He is fulfilling it on the earth, what has already been decided in the heavens. That is our sure, certain, and strong hope. Amen.